and welcome to Capstan Live. We're the podcast that makes sure you pay the real estate taxes you owe and not a dollar more. If you own commercial real estate or advise someone who does, you're in the right place for a real talk about maximizing tax savings. Hello, welcome to another episode of Capstan Live. I'm Helena Carmel, and I'm back with one of my favorite guests. You know him, you love him. He's Mr. Bruce Johnson. Hi, Bruce. Hey, Helena. Thanks for coming in. I know you're so busy. It is the beginning of a new tax season, isn't it? I feel like it's always the beginning of a new tax season lately. Yeah, they seem to blend together. <laughs> they do. They do. Uh, I wish we could banter about anything but that, but that's what's on our minds. Um, today, um, I had asked you to come in so we could talk about a vertical that continues to boom and that we still see so much interest in. Multifamily just just is not stopping. And I actually read a recent study commissioned by the National Multifamily Housing Council. They say that the U.S. needs to build 4.3 million new apartments by 2035 to address demand. Why is multifamily unstoppable, Bruce? Like, what's your take? Well, I think there's there's a whole bunch of aspects to it, probably. Um, we've got the affordability of homes yes. as being one. Uh, we've got maybe generational change in attitudes of home ownership. Mm. And also you've got the urbanification of, of people moving or maybe migrating to larger population centers. So with all of those changes, we see the need that particularly in urban areas and the suburbs, uh, a lot of this activity. And to your point, we've been in this business now going on 18, 19 years, and every year this has been a very consistent market for us, I suspect for most people. So I always, I stopped asking the question, is this going to be the end of the bull run? But I don't think it will, as you're, the statistic you just chimed in on, because there's, there's definitely a need, and I think some of the factors that I, I listed, I've heard from other people, are primary issues, but there may be others that I'm not aware of, but nonetheless, there is definitely a, a demand driving uh, the activity. It's interesting that you bring up not only affordability, but also some cultural shifts that seem to play in. And yeah, it's interesting. As I think about my, my friends, not everybody owns a house. Many people still are in apartments, especially if they decided to not have a family or just have a small family. So some of it reflects cultural demographic trends, I guess. Sorry, just talking out loud, folks. Um, so we love multifamily around here because it is a great vertical for tax saving strategies. Talk to me, Bruce. I know, you, I know Bruce could talk all day about this, but we are keeping this a short take, people. Have no fear. So definitely because of the popularity of the property, and I would say that I'm an average 20 or so, maybe a little more percent of our annual projects are multifamily wow. in some way, shape, or form. One out of every five projects we deal with Typically, is multifamily. So whether oh. they be single-family rentals, which we're seeing a, a great growth in, particularly with the change in the Tax Cuts for Jobs Act in 2018, and the application of bonus to acquired assets, uh, to your more traditional uh, you have multi-family setups and which leads to in within that you've got different subsets so you have your traditional garden style mm -hmm. and then you also have your urban setting where you've got mid or high rise and each one of those applications 
definitely have the useful have, have need or can use, I should say, cost segregation. But the yield from each of those can be very, very different based upon how they're being constructed, how they're being used, and how where they are. Because, for example, you might have in rural settings people buying single-family rental homes with less than a hundred thousand dollar basis. Wow. Well, by themselves, certainly there's a benefit, but by themselves, it's kind of hard to justify an engineering-based cost irrigation study. And on the opposite end, you could have these extremely large, hundreds of plus million dollar urban developments where you've got maybe mixed use involved. Mm. Um, those clearly are great opportunities for cost sake. But the usefulness of it really comes back to the taxpayer. For the small sell, small sales, small property I just mentioned, it comes down to maybe an investor or a group of investors. Can they use the deductions? It's no different for that hundred plus million dollar mixed use urban facility because you may have individual and uh, private investors, but you may also have, say, institutional funds mm. that are typically involved in those big developments. Well, those institutional funds may not have the appetite for cost seg. So you can see high level, yes, all of these properties can benefit from it, but as usual, it really comes down to the unique fact pattern of the investors and their need and desire for something like cost irrigation. Facts and circumstances. I feel like that should be your catchphrase, Bruce, like if you had one. Facts and circumstances. Well, that and and then it depends. It's, oh, it depends. It depends. Yes. <laughs> it's yes. a classic Bruceism, people. It is. So one thing that I think is so cool about multifamily is, like you said, the variety. And as somebody who just enjoys hotels and enjoys, like, different amenities and things, like, it's just so cool to see that the way that they, they'll, like, lay out different multifamily properties for different audiences and the kind of amenities and extras they'll, they'll you know, put in. Um, and all of those amenities, all of those extras are, are segable, right, Bruce? Absolutely. So you think of your classic pool. And that, if it's someone is sitting out in, in, on, on the lands, then that's a land improvement. But if it's within the structure of the building, like in an urban setting, those mid or, or high rise uh, applications, those unfortunately are gonna be real property assets. Mm. And so you look at gyms. Gyms are, yes, are gyms. pretty much pervasive in a lot of particularly the new new proper newer properties or properties that have been newly renovated. Um, what's interesting is you just kind of look at and I've heard this from many other presentations that a lot of the these activities, these features are being added because the younger generation that's maybe coming out of college mm-hmm. where they have had some really nice setups yes. in for what we call used to call dormitories. Oh please, uh, dormitories I, are a thing of the past. It's I, like a luxury apartment now. Absolutely. So there's expectations. Yes. So you're seeing all of these types of amenities added into properties. And to your point, to your question, there is great potential for using accelerated depreciation and gaining a tax benefit for those. Which is awesome, really awesome. Um, I gotta bring up energy. I gotta bring up energy. Um, The Inflation Reduction Act just passed a few months ago and provisions taking effect 1-1-23. And multifamily properties can be great candidates for energy studies, right, Bruce? Yeah. So we've we've had 179 cap D and 45 L as strategies that people could be leveraging, whether it be new construction or renovation, particularly for multifamily. Now, 
How you use those depends on the, the, the really the height of the, the, the construction. Above grounds, three stories or more uh, is typically going, I'm sorry, four stories or more mm -hmm. going to be 179D, and then under that would be 45L. So they've been in play for a long time. And certainly people can be and have been taking advantage of that. But to your point, the IRA is instituting many changes of which not, not anything minor, they're significantly increasing the potential economics. Yes. So we get, everybody gets caught on the, 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 the fact that now 179D could be giving it $5 per square foot benefit or 45L a $5,000 per dwelling unit benefit, $5,000 tax credit per dwelling unit. So certainly those are in focus, but Oh, there's there always are, a but. Well, I mean, nothing, there, there's no such thing as free lunch, right? So right. number one, you have to have making a capital investment of property, whether it be new construction or renovation. But then we have thresholds to meet. Certainly there's the energy threshold, and then there's also other new rules that we have coming into play, and that's prevailing wage rates. Yes. So how you're staffing or... or the labor that you're using to construct these properties is going to become just as important to understand so that you can properly apply the right level of these two two strategies. What I mean is that if you're using, for example, prevailing wage, that is usually the threshold, one of the thresholds you need to be able to achieve to get to the maximum savings or benefit level. If you don't, you're still benefit, but it is significantly reduced in both cases. If I remember right, the difference is $5 a square foot for 179D if you meet the requirements. And if you do not, it goes down to $1 right. per well, square we'll say, foot. We should say maximum because... Maximum, is, yes. Right, so I, I think 179D is a perfect illustration. It's kind of a similar, similar metric for 45L. But everybody gets caught on those numbers. Yeah, because they're attractive. Absolutely. So we have to be keeping in mind, certainly there's the prevailing wage rates, but then there's also the energy aspect. We have to be able to prove that we've designed and built a property that's going to meet these thresholds. Now, what's good is that in the legacy program, which has been in place from 2006 through 2022, you have to meet a minimum 50% improvement in energy use over a benchmark while the new programs which started at the beginning of this year is starting at 25 percent and then there's a scaling benefit that up to that 50 percent threshold so the program has really evolved mm -hmm. it's been this has been discussed by people in this little cottage industry for a long time it's finally happened and now we're in an, we're in an environment where we're starting to see people really, they're going to be starting to apply for these but it gets back to what we kind of started to, and, and I'm sure you've heard, listened on these podcasts or some of others or, or people writing blogs, that we still have a number of areas of clarification to truly understand how we can properly be applying these, these strategies for uh, multifamily. Um, yes, we actually did just release a blog um, an industry alert regarding the announcement 2023-01 that the IRS just released in which they clarify exactly which ASHRAE standards should be used moving forward. So check, take a look at our blog on that if you want more. 
Um, and the truth is we've got tons of energy info and would be happy to even send you our recent white paper if you're interested. I just brought up energy because I feel like it's an important thing to keep in mind when you're thinking about multifamily. But yeah, we could talk about energy all day and we probably shouldn't. Um, let's just talk renovations, Bruce, because then you get to use my favorite tax strategy. Do you remember what it is? My God, he's making a face that he doesn't remember. The pad election. Oh, so absolutely. So it's it's a it's a great point that a lot of people in renovations because of just the nature of our world can you forget can forget about the pad election, which is a timely election. It's part of the um, TPR that the tangible property regulations, which been have been in permanent effect since 2014. And yeah, it is kind of an afterthought, but they have to be done in the year the work was completed or else it's done. We can't go back and retroactively claim these. And I think it's particularly important in multifamily because I feel like people are always renovating. They always, you know, got to keep up with the, the, the competitors and, and add new finishes and add new uh, amenities. Like when renovations are happening, people have to think about the opportunity for pad elections. I actually read, Bruce, about a trend now where people are trying to like renovate existing multifamily buildings to, to turn into like more affordable housing options. Have you been hearing about that? Well, certainly. That's, that's definitely been a hot topic and probably will be for a long time. And that's really that the affordability of, of housing is becoming much more acute. I mean, we look at the average price of, of a home. Uh, as we talked about earlier, is one of the driving driving mm -hmm. actions probably for people migrating to to multifamily or to apartments. Um, but but even there, you look at the affordability of those, and particularly you you look at over the last five or so years, rates have been typically going up on an annual basis, mm -hmm. which brings back into focus even within the multifamily arena the the affordability. So we certainly see a lot of that, and there, are, there has been uh, initiatives in the federal tax code, so low-income housing tax credits mm -hmm. being a great example of that, where there are incentives put in place for developers to build those types of, design and build those types of facilities. But I think that that capacity is outstripped by the demand, and which mm. is really, which comes to, I think, your, your point of your question, is that it is definitely going to be a growing uh, a need and also you know the, certainly it's competing against the market rate as, as there will be a constant struggle if you would between the two the two property types or, or to competing against the capital that's out there yeah affordability is an issue that that's not going to go away um, I, do, I do agree and it, it'll be interesting to sort of see how the multifamily sector evolves to try to address that that challenge um, Bruce, thank you so much for joining us. That was just such a great little overview of where multifamily is, what people are doing. We appreciate it. If somebody wants to talk to you, Bruce, about multifamily or any other opportunity, how do they get in touch with you, sir? Well, I'd suggest you just call the office, and certainly myself, Terry, uh, are here in the office, or we have Isaac and Jake that are available, certainly, to answer any questions. But uh, always love to hear from people and learn what, what kind of new things are going on in the marketplace. Totally. Just in case you didn't have the number handy, I mean, it's probably number one on your smartphone, but it is 215-885-7510. Bruce, thank you so much. We really enjoyed having you as always. 
Listeners, if you enjoyed what you heard, why not subscribe? We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or just go to our website, capstantax.com podcasts. I'm Helena Carmel, here with our producer, Aaron Strongen. Thanks so much for tuning in to Capstan Live, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Capstan Live. Be sure to subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts so you never miss an episode. Visit our website at capstantax.com for more info on everything we discussed today, plus breaking news, industry blogs, and more. Have a profitable day.